Hi, I'm John Chang, and you're listening to the Science Line podcast. This is the sound of science. That is the sound of the Plainview Old Beth Page John F. Kennedy High School bell system. I know it's a mouthful. Even spelling each letter out is a pain in the butt. But I'm used to it, since this is my alma mater. Our school district made the switch from the classic-sounding bells to those sterile-sounding elevator dings sometime in the late 90s. But that's not important. What is important? Could you tell me what note the bell was? Like, if you were to find a piano and pick a key to sound like the bell, which key do you press? If you're like most people, you would probably finger on the keyboard a little bit and compare each sound on the piano to each sound of the bell that's in your mind. Maybe you would ask to hear the bell again just to be on the safe side. People with perfect pitch, though, they don't need to. Though saying it's perfect is a little bit of a misnomer. Perfect pitch isn't necessarily perfect. I.e., if you ask people who have perfect pitch to do to label a, you know, a lot of notes, they won't necessarily get everything all right. Sometimes they'll still make some mistakes. That's Psyche Louie, a researcher at... Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Harvard Medical School. And we study music and the brain. Though musicians call it perfect pitch, scientists often call it absolute pitch. However, the two terms are interchangeable. So the reason why we use the term absolute pitch is so it, it refers to how the, the pitch perception or, or categorization occurs rather than you know, how good people are. When I started looking for people with perfect pitch, I thought I'd have a really hard time finding even one. The figures aren't set in stone, but many researchers agree on one case in about every 2,000 people. I got in touch with my old music teacher to see if he had any ideas on how to find them. So imagine my surprise when he said that there wasn't only one student. Hi, um, I'm Abby Sun. I am 18 years old. I'm Andrew Kim. I'm 14. Um, I'm Judy Cho. I'm 17 in two weeks. But three students in the orchestra with perfect pitch. I'm tossing these words around, like perfect or absolute, and so it makes it sound like it's this all-or-nothing phenomenon. But it's more like a gradient. You start at AP1, or absolute pitch 1, and you work your way down. So instead of thinking of it in black and white, think of it as different shades of gray. Yeah, there are definitely um, different types of absolute pitch. If you're always, always correct, no matter what instrument you're in, what um, frequency range you're in, you know, then you probably have AP1. But then when you, as you, your accuracy decreases, um, then you could be labeled a, you know, a different category. So AP4 might uh, be only able to do absolute pitch with piano tones in the middle of the octave. These aren't just laboratory observations either. Judy and her sister Kelly both have perfect pitch, but at different levels. I would consider mine to be like about average or a bit lower, because for me, um, if someone plays a note on piano, I would guess it. But then for my sister, I think should be a little bit above average. Because if she hears like a car, like, bonk, or like, she would like guess the note, like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> There's been some preliminary work that suggests a genetic link, but more often than not, it's tied to how you are raised. Psyche breaks it down for us. One. Children who start musical training earlier are more likely to have absolute pitch. I started like really play around three, four. And... I was about three and a half or four years old. Yeah, I started when I was really young, about four. Two. Pianists and string players are likely to have absolute pitch. 
parents actually taught piano. I grew up with it. <laughs> My piano teacher tested me for it. When I started the piano. Three. People who speak tonal languages such as different kinds of Chinese, Thai, um, Vietnamese, just are more likely to have absolute pitch. Okay, so we have some hints at how to raise a person with perfect pitch, but I want to know more. What's actually going on in the brain? Obviously, the answer isn't going to be very clear-cut, but Psyche has found some promising leads. So we recruited 12 absolute pitch musicians and uh, 12 match controls, and then we did a, a kind of a type of MRI scan on them. It's called the diffusion tensor imaging. And what diffusion tensor imaging does is, is it lets you visualize the different um, connections in the white matter of people's brains. So the superior temporal gyrus and middle temporal gyrus um, were better connected in the absolute pitch group than in the non-absolute pitch group. And what we also saw was that like, the volume of these paths that connect the, the uh, superior temporal gyrus and the middle temporal gyrus um, was larger in people who were better at the absolute pitch task. So, so the better you are at absolute pitch, um, the larger of this branch you have. So this suggests that there's something about the absolute pitch brain that is more connected, better connected. So is that it for perfect pitch? I mean, picking notes out of thin air is cool, but it also seems kind of useless, like you're the audio equivalent of Aquaman. It's not like you have enhanced reflexes so you can play notes more accurately or more quickly or things like that. But there is more to the story. Notes that sound out of tune are super noticeable. So you can pinpoint when you're off and improve. That's pretty cool, unless... It's not your playing, but your sections. For me and Abby, um, we're in, like we sit together. So for our section, like they come sometimes play off, and then we just like look and smile, and, like yeah. Yeah, and then we kind of adjust it and then try to tune to theirs, even <laughs> though they're pretty much the ones that are really off at this point. And it it I can tell it does bother Judy just as much as it bothers me. <laughs> but I mean, it's something like you want to keep the section together, so you might as well just tune to that. Yeah, definitely. If you're like the the one, the only one who's playing it right, and everyone else is slightly off. You should just tune it so that you know there's at least there's unity and yeah. Bach and Beethoven. Sinatra and Mariah. They all had perfect pitch, so it must feel pretty special to be an elite musical company, right? Well, like for me, um, right after I found that, I told my orchestra teacher, and then she's like, she told me, like, because I was young, so I didn't really know, like, what it was exactly. And then she told me, like, only, like, few people in the world have it. I was like, oh, this is really good. But then as the time went on, it started bothering me a little bit, because whatever I play, or like, in the orchestra or something, like, if someone plays out of tune, I'm just like, annoyed <laughs> and I can't tell them like because it would be rude so I'm just like oh yeah yeah um back in middle school when I didn't know I had it I I was in the choir and every time the teacher would play a few notes for us I would automatically be able to identify the notes 
and it just bothered me how nobody else could do that. And I personally <laughs> thought that it wasn't something that I was different. It was just that everybody else couldn't do this, and there was nothing wrong with me. <laughs> so it yeah it never occurred to me that it was something special. Musicians that don't have perfect pitch sometimes see the talent almost like something divine, like it was handed down by God himself. But these kids, it's not such a big deal. They don't really see it that way. To them, it's no different than being double-jointed or being able to curl your tongue. Not something to brag about, just something that's different. By the way, it's a B natural. This podcast has been brought to you by ScienceLine.org. I'm John Chang. Thanks for listening.